Hey there, welcome to the Connection Podcast. This is volume three of our greatest hit series, going back on the best moments from season one of the Connection Podcast. We had a great panel today that included Camille Keister, Tina Marchant, and Christine Fuller. I also think you really enjoy the clips. We got a nice mix of funny stuff and also really touching stories that were shared during our first season. Hope you enjoy Welcome to the Connection Podcast. We're here for our greatest hits episode number three, and we'll be recording number four today as well. Why not? And we have a gigantic panel, probably the biggest panel we've ever had. We have Camille Keister with us. Hi. I was like, are you even going to say hi today or what's going on? And then we have Corinne <laughs> Bell. At Hello. Christine Fuller. Hi. And Tina Marchant. Good to be here. Okay. So. First question to get us started, Tina and Camille already answered this, so they're exempt, is what has been your reaction or what's your been your experience with the Connection podcast so far as we reflect on season one? Start with Christine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have loved getting to know people that I didn't know before. And now when I see those people around town or at stake events or different things, I just feel, a, I mean, an actual deeper connection to them. And just from the stories they've told. So yeah, really enjoyed. Thank you. And Corinne? So crazy enough, I was actually thinking about this because someone made a comment today about, <clears throat> we were talking about traveling and how when you see the world, it makes the world smaller. It brings people closer. And I think that from listening to this podcast, for me, it has made my community smaller. Like people that I never met, I now know a little bit more about them and it's made my world or my community smaller, closer, just by listening to their stories and their testimonies. So cool. Thank you. Thank you for perspective on that. I am officially going to start us off here, and I'm going to play a clip and not let you know what it is. Sound good? You left Emma on your doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> mom days. Oh, bad mom days. Yeah, so we actually were going to your house, Drew. Oh, yeah. To pick up my Andrew, who was hanging out with Joel, and we get down to your house, and I was like, "Okay, go get Andrew," and and two of the girls get out, and and they go and they go to get him, and he comes back, and I was like, and I look behind me, I'm like, "Where's Emma?" And they were like, "I don't, I don't know." And I said, "Did she go in there with you? Because she's not in the car anymore." And they were like, "No, she didn't come with us." And I was like, "Oh crap, we totally left Emma at home, and we were on our way to." to Naya's karate lesson, so she did not get to go to karate class that day. <laughs> and we rushed back home, and Emma's just sitting on the doorstep with her, she had a little device at the time, and she's just looking at it, and she looks up at me, and she goes, she's probably three, maybe four, and she goes, Mom, you left me here. <laughs> and that was it, like, she, she wasn't upset or anything, she was just like, I can't believe you left me here. <laughs> I was like, yep, that happened. I can hear the same, like, same reaction from you, though. You just, like, be sitting there and you look up and be like, well, look who decided to come back. <laughs> yeah. So did you, as you're driving, do you have a feeling something's not right, but you can't put your finger on it? or On the way there, no. <laughs> no, no, no impressions at all. <laughs> I didn't even realize that she wasn't with us. So. I guess she was fine. Like <laughs> She was. So when you, when you find out that she's not with you what's going on through your head at that oh, point oh panic for sure i'm like what if she goes out in the street you know like what if a stranger comes by like 
totally panicked. Because you guys are right there by the street, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were in the back at the time, so yeah. there was, she had she was just sitting on the porch, <laughs> just hanging out. Have you ever, I'm curious, have you ever shared that story with, because I think every mom, like, and dad, too, as their mom or dad fail, have you ever shared it with them, like, dude, we all do this? Yeah, and that, it's funny, because, like, in sacrament meeting, I know some some moms or dads will be, you know, they kind of get upset when their kids are not behaving and they get embarrassed and they're like, oh man, I can't believe it. And they have to leave, right? Well, sometimes I've, I'm like smiling or laughing on the inside, but not because I'm <laughs> laughing at them. It's more like I've been there, you know? <laughs> you know? And I just want them to know like, it's okay. We have all been there. Uh, one time, Alan has like never sat with us until he got released as bishop. So before that, the kids were little and he never sat down with us. So it was always just me and the kids. And sometimes, and grandma would help too, but she'd have one kid and I'd have these other kids. And Emma just started freaking out one sacrament meeting. And I think it was when um, Charlotte Westover was going to sing a, a new song that Charlotte and I had written <laughs> oh together. Yeah. And I was like, I hadn't even heard it yet. And Emma started freaking out so I took her out into the hallway and she starts screaming at the top of her lungs so I take her into a room and she's still screaming I was like oh my gosh so we went outside and they could still hear us because people are starting to look out the window and I'm like ah so we go all the way on the other side of the parking lot and we're just sitting there and she's screaming and I sat down on the sidewalk and she sat next to me and just screamed and for 45 minutes (laughs) (laughs) and so she just kept screaming and until she she beat her pants and then she's like she just stopped like that fast. She goes, I just peed my pants. She goes, yeah. she goes can we go back into church now? So I'm sitting with a group of moms here. What were you guys' reaction to Tina's story? <laughs> uh, first, you can just see Emma saying that with a straight face. You left me. <laughs> uh, just knowing Emma. But again, it's like that bringing people closer because... As a mom, we all have a story. Maybe we haven't left a kid, but we all have a story where it's a mom fell. You know, I'm pretty sure there's some people in a Washington Walmart that think I kidnapped Madeline as I'm carrying her out of the store screaming. (laughs) So (laughs) we all have a mom fell. And I think just sharing that moment, Tina, helps other moms or other parents really connect. They're like, okay, she gets it. She gets what I'm dealing with today with my two-year-old. Yeah, now that my kids aren't young anymore, like you said, I, I'll often, like, it, it's natural when a kid makes noise and it's it's in a quiet space to turn around and look. But I don't ever want the moms to think that I'm like, make your kid be quiet because I know that that's not possible. Like, it's hard, right? So it's like, I wish that there was a way to give a look of empathy that is like, been there. <laughs> sure, like a, a special hand signal. Yes. We know what you're doing. Or a shirt, a sticker, like a sign, you know, like, oh, you got this. You. I'm not judging you. I didn't mean to look. <laughs> I told Kevin, this, this gives me like, I'm getting old. But I said, Kevin, you have to remind me to not be that woman who gives the grumpy face. Remind me to be that nice woman who's like, I'll just take your kid for you. Why don't you go in and listen to church? Hopefully in the hall with them. And I have done that a couple of times for moms. I'm like, I'll just sit in the foyer. You go sit down. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I, I can return this kid later. So <laughs> you can't. So go sit down for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's something comfortable about hearing kids cry in sacrament. On my mission, our sacrament consisted of sister missionaries and senior couples. It was a very quiet Sunday sacrament meeting. And then when you, so you get used to that. And then you 
they send you out to the field and you're in like a family ward and then you hear like all this noise and you're like, oh my gosh, it's so noisy. <laughs> but like that, I feel like that's the way it, sh- it should be. Like, and then, yeah, you just kind of enjoy the noise of other people's children, knowing that you were there at one point. And, I've had people yeah. comment that before that, that our services are, are loud. Yeah. Because of all the families. But they're used to being in church where like they don't allow the kids in the worship service. And I'm like, that's that's kind of like that makes me sad, right? Because our kids are learning to be in worship service and to to listen, you know, and, and to hear things. And I remember even when my kids were little, sometimes afterwards we'd be like, Oh, what'd you learn in church today? And they'd pull something out of the talk when they were small that was like, Was that in there? Like <laughs> you know, because I was so distracted, I didn't hear it, but they still heard it. And even if it was only a couple of sentences, like that's that's worth it. It's worth it to be in there as much as you can be in there, you know. All right, let's move on to our first long clip. I don't know what we'll call it. We we got some funny ones in here for the next two episodes, but we did an episode with Ian Bartels. He is a special education teacher and he had this great analogy for the IEP program that's kind of redundant IEP program that they do at school and God's individual view for us and and how he wants us to progress. You gave an awesome talk and people in third world probably remember this where you you compare the IEPs that you write for your students Mm -hmm. to our Heavenly Father. I, I like the analogy, I guess, of he has an IEP for us. Yeah, that was a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad it made an impact. It was yeah. It was probably that. I just remember that he said IEP, and that's and then I focused on that that acronym, and then the whole time I was wondering what's an IEP because because I didn't explain it or something, right? Like, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember. I was looking. I was actually looking for that talk because I usually I try to save them on my Google Drive just so I have talks, and I learned that from Elder Holland actually who. I heard him, he came and spoke when I was at the MTC and he was, he'd talk about how he recycled talks. He's like, I just keep a file and I keep talks because you never know when somebody's like, hey, can you give a talk? And then you have one that's already written. Anyway, it, I, I looked at it and I said that, I, I remember I broke it down. I can't remember specifics off the top of my head. I broke it down into s- six parts. Like what are the, what are the parts of the IEP and how does that relate? How, how is that like our, our Heavenly Father's plan? So, uh, you know, the IEP stands for Individualized Education Program or Plan. And our Heavenly Father has an individualized education plan for us. So I remember the first part, because the first major part of an IEP is the, you, you start with the student strengths, which is always really cool. Mm-hmm. Like that's the very first, like apart from like the, because at the very top of an IEP, it has like the general information, like student name, address, your parents' names, all that. And then right under that, it starts with student strengths. And that's usually how I start my IEP meetings is we just talk like good things, like what good personality traits or what talents does the student have? And so that's usually the first thing that our, I mean, our Heavenly Father, I think has has a list for us of like, he knows us so well and he can look at us and, and know these are the these are the strengths that this person has. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember now some of the other parts that I broken up, up into. So I know one was because a big part of the IEP is you have the IEP team, and that can range from like because it's always the parent. The parent's always part of the team, and it could be like the parent, the teacher, and the special education teacher. Like that, and that's mm-hmm. the team. But then like I like kids like mine. I've got the parent, the, the grade level teacher, I'm there, the occupational therapist, the physical therapist, the autism behavior consultant, the augmentative communications consultant, like there's all sorts of people that are involved with it. And I compared that to how Heavenly Father has a team for us. Um, usually, usually it's our families, right? Our family members, mm. and that could be your parents, that could be your spouse, 
spouse, your kids, they're part of your team and they're the ones that know you the best and know how to help you yeah. as you strive to to do better and to um, become more like our Heavenly Father. I'm trying to remember some of the other parts. I feel like that could also apply to like your ward family. Yeah. And I think I did. I think yeah. I mentioned that, that, that yeah, your okay. ward family is also part of your IEP, right? A part of your yeah. team. Because I'm going to be honest, there are some things that I that I have told like my ministering because you that, that's what um, you now that we have uh, it's not home teaching it's ministering Minister brothers and brothers, sisters yeah. yeah there are some things that I've told people at church and stuff that my family don't know about because <laughs> yeah. you know some, they support you in different ways so yeah yeah, yeah. and so I, yeah I just broke down I went through because next part of the IP is like goals you write goals for whatever whatever it is and so part of Heavenly Father he has goals for us of things that he wants us to work on and I'm trying to remember I think that's the big one accommodations is another big part of the IEP where you have you know here's we want that you know we want this kid to be in 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 their regular with their grade level peers but they need these accommodations and so like what are some things that would help them and so like i have a kid that has a visual impairment so we make sure that she has font like really big for her we make sure that she has a slant mm. board so you know when we work with her we have her materials like up off the table and kind of up in front of her so she can see them and so like there's accommodations that we put on an iep but then there's also accommodations that our heavenly father like he knows he knows what what we need and what things he needs to have in place for us in order to help us reach our goals because that's the whole point of an accommodation is help you know what these are the things in place so you can reach your goals yeah well it's like i like the paradigm shift speaking broadly from that talk because i think one framework we see our lives and and you know rate ourselves as living gospel is comparing to other people mm -hmm. right oh yeah you say oh this person you know they only struggle with you know saying bad words and here i am struggling with all these other things that are much worse but when you do that paradigm shift to thinking about individuals yeah the people you work with for example they were born in an, a body that has autism that's an individual struggle that's totally different from my life experience yeah yeah and, mm -hmm. and we grew up in different circumstances and heavenly father i think sees that and when we can shift from comparing to God sees me as an individual and he is aware of not only my weaknesses, but my strengths. I think that's such a great way of seeing. Yeah, where, yeah, where he, again, yeah, he has goals and things specifically for us, but yeah, he's not comparing us. I don't feel like he's comparing us to other people. Mm, and, you know, yeah. well, this, you know, this person's, it, it doesn't matter where we are on that, on the eternal road, but, you know, it's everybody, everybody's so individualized and has their own specific needs that Heavenly Father is aware of. Yeah. I think it's significant too that you focus strengths first. Cuz so I feel like as a as a pro most of the time personally, you probably don't focus on yeah, your strengths first and you yeah. you have to have somebody that can point those out to you first. Cuz you know the the biggest critic is yourself most most of the time. One of the greatest things you can do as a friend is talk to one of your other friends and tell them something that they do exceptionally well that's unique. Oh yeah. Because I I do think that we have this idea of if I if I know my strengths and I leverage those, it's somehow prideful. But all you have to do is look at the, a lot of the parables that Jesus shared. And he wants us to not only be aware of those, but maximize those uh -huh. things. And so I, I think that it's counterintuitive, but I think it's sometimes the more humble thing to do to actually recognize those strengths and use them in positive ways to help others. Yeah. Yeah. Good well, point. Yeah. And that's something that I, well, I just spoke again last week, week, week before. Week before. Yeah. 
darn, I needed to really botch it then. And that's, that's, what, that's how <laughs> that's, I get out of it. That's what I keep trying to do. <laughs> and so, no, yeah, it, now, now I totally lost my train of thought of, but yeah, it, yeah, having those people around you, that Heavenly Father works, that's what it, that's what I mentioned, that Heavenly Father works often through the people around us. Oh, yeah. Um, so we see that blessings come, you know, like, like I'm, I'm in some sort of need, like my, I mean, I'll just, I'll just say like my dad, so I have to get something fixed on my truck this week. And like financially, I was a little worried about it. I'm like, I don't know how we're going to do this. And it's not like Heavenly Father just all of a sudden makes the money appear. Yeah. But in the form of my dad calling me up and, you know, talking to me about it and then him going, okay, here, I can help you out with this, you know, kind of is, is just, uh, just an example in my personal life from this last week of how Heavenly Father works through the people around us. <laughs> Christine loved the episode. I did love we were just saying. listening to Ian. I, I learned a lot about his work and I've always known that he's kind of a unique person, but I didn't realize the, um, some of these kids and the challenges they have and how he works with them. So I really enjoyed learning that. Um, in that clip, I loved how he talked about kind of the order of the, the way that the IEP meeting goes and the things that are focused on. And that thing, what he talked about, about accommodations, it reminded me of a line in my patriarchal blessing that goes something like this. Heavenly Father wants you to be successful. So go to him in prayer and he will delight in blessing you with the things you need. And to me, that is what came to my mind. I've That sentence has always been maybe my favorite sentence in my blessing because he's just willing and ready to give us accommodations, but we have to ask. And when we do ask, he's so happy to give it. As Ian talked about, that they're happy to give it to these kids because that's their job and that's they want them to be successful. So um, my favorite gym instructor too, he always says to us, I want you to be able to do this. So if you need to adjust, adjust, like you like be successful, find where you're successful. Yeah, really. I like that idea of that is so individualized, right? Like Heavenly Father is so individual with us. And I think sometimes we, we, don't think that way in our own minds. And so we don't understand how he's trying to work with us. So I like the idea of thinking like he really does meet us where we are. Like he understands us and he will meet us where we are. Um, in the Old Testament, we talked a lot about how God was speaking to them in their the way that they could understand, right? So there's a lot of big miracles. There's a lot of harsh punishments kinds of things um, because that was the culture needed that, right? Um, so I think everybody is so different. And and Heavenly Father knows how to work with each of those, you know, accommodations. I liked how he talked about that. Like, each person's going to need something different to be successful. And he's willing to do that for us. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I don't think we should be afraid to ask for those accommodations, especially if we, w- we have goals to meet and, and things. And I think just other people around us are set in our ways or set in our path to also help us those goals and accommodations. I was thinking as I listened to it again, where you came in, Jason, and talked about comparing. And it's hard for people to see their strengths sometimes because it's a lot easier to see our weaknesses and then compare those to somebody's strengths. That's like the way our, our we're wired sometimes. And I think sometimes not only asking Heavenly Father what modifications I need, what help really is what we're asking Heavenly Father for is what, this is the help that I need. We Heavenly Father, the help that I need right now is I need to know my strengths. Can you tell me, can you show me my strengths? 
Um, Because I was thinking about that as I listened to you guys interview Brianna Raven, and she talked about her strengths, and she gave all her accolades and like, this comes from the Lord, and he knows what I enjoy, so he's helped me strengthen my strengths, pretty much was what she was saying. And I think if you can't, you're having a harder time seeing your strengths, that's a way to ask the Lord, you know, help me see these things, help me understand what strengths you gave me and, and what modifications then I need to enhance my strengths and focus on that. And I think you even said in there about telling people their strengths, which is huge. And, you know, have you anyone ever given you a compliment on one of your strengths? It comes off a little different mm-hmm. when they tell you, you're so good at this. I am so impressed, you know, and it might not be that they're musical, you know, you know, maybe it's something like you are a really good teacher. You're a really good delegator. You're a really good leader. And so those compliments come off so much different when you get one of those. But I think Heavenly Father will give us that too. He'll tell us you are really what good in this. And he's going to put you in positions that might be uncomfortable at first, to show you your strengths. Yeah. Uh, I, I think one thing you taught me, Corinne, this might have been from your work, but, you know, there's giving a compliment and it makes somebody happy, feel good. But then there's the compliment that changes their face. Right. Mm. And I, I think striving for those is a, a really good goal. We're ready to move on to our next one. Let's yep. do it. Let's go on to a clip from President Ogan. Let's do that. So there were a lot of good moments in President Ogan's episode. And I could have chosen a few, but I wanted to share the clip where he talked about his kind of faith journey, his time out of the church, and feeling like he didn't necessarily fit the mold. You want to do a redo, maybe, around <laughs> I love the re- I love when people say they want to redo something. I see people, and in, in, for those who don't know, in our in our show survey, before someone comes on the show, one of our questions is, what would you potentially do or want to redo on. And a lot of the time people answer, I wouldn't redo anything. I learned from all my experiences. And that's great. I mean, that's a good answer. But I think if I were answering this, I'd probably have a list of a hundred things. <laughs> so I like it when people do answer that they, they would redo something. Well, yeah. I, you know, when I, when I was 16, you know, 16 is kind of a it's kind of a weird year anyways. You're not really an adult. You're not really a kid anymore. You already know everything. I, my son already knows everything and he's only 12. He's just, he's a, he's yeah. ahead of the game. He's yeah. advanced. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but, you know, it at 16, there was some critical decisions that were made based on other people's reaction to me. You know, I had, uh, you know, growing up in a small town, Pleasant Hill, I didn't go to church with members. It was me and my family and one other family for the most part that attended church. So being a faithful member wasn't always easy, but it was something I took pride in doing and still trying to be a cool kid, you know, played a lot of sports and had some success with that. But I was attending scouts. I was going to mutual. I was a new priest blessing the sacrament. I had gone to a homecoming activity after a football game and had gone to this party with my girlfriend of the time and was walking around. And, you know, the parties at that time were barn parties and there was alcohol and there was other things going on that maybe weren't appropriate for that age. And so my out to that was humor. 
I was a I was a goof. I'm still a goof. So somebody would offer me a drink and I say, hey, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. Or <laughs> or something like, hey, I've had enough already, man. I'm crazy. <laughs> you know, said so just something goofy. So I had gone to the following week's activity and my priest advisor at the time met me in the lobby and told me I wasn't welcome. That my actions and behavior were unbecoming. And until I had met with a bishop and confessed my sins and been on the path of repentance, that he did not want my influence with the rest of the youth, which was devastating for me at the time. Uh, So I turned around and walked out the door of the building and got in my car and, and drove home and went in my room and get a little emotional here, but... Cried my eyes out a little bit. Wow. Um, I thought I was going to get a phone call, you know, from the bishop, from the priest quorum, young men's president, somebody that say, hey, Carl, I'm sorry. That, that wasn't right. You're a good kid. Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so my pride kept me from going back. My pride decided to say, well, if that's what they think Carl Logan is, maybe that's who Carl Logan is. So I slowly started drifting away. So my mom, I didn't want to tell her what happened. I was embarrassed. You know, I don't want to tell her. I'm not a good kid. You know, I adore my mom. And so I would make excuses why I didn't feel good. I can't find my church shoes. I got a rip in my shirt. And you know, so periodically going to church went to no longer going to church at all, which led to hanging out at the parties and instead of not partaking, partaking. Coming from a family that has some ad- addictive tendencies, it led me down a different path. And in all honesty, at first, it was liberating. It was fun. I mean, I can't lie and say I didn't have some great, crazy, wild experiences because I did. But here's the crazy thing about that is the adversary is going to make that experience that way to start. It wasn't until I got out of high school, I got out of my parents' influence, I was on my own living with other guys that were also heading in that same direction, was a fast track to nowhere, that things stopped kind of falling into place. You know, those fun activities became kind of scary activities. I woke up one time in in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. Not really sure how I got there and what I was doing there or where anybody else was that I got there with. Yeah. That was kind of a <laughs> that was kind of a turning point, honestly, that I started looking at my life and reflecting back to that moment at 16 going, "What happened?" And uh, uh you know, when the adversary has a hold of you, he makes, when he knows he has a hold of you, he starts to tear you apart and destroy your self worth. So I had gotten to the point where I didn't have value in myself any longer. I didn't know why I was here, what I was doing. I didn't have a purpose. I was just a piece of garbage at that time. I academically ineligible LCC. Because I wasn't going to school. I signed up and I'd go party and go to the lake and ski and do a bunch of other stuff. And I remember 
um, going up to my parents' house, just kind of lost and, um, walking around down by the Creek, which tons of memories down by the Creek, just trying to figure out who it was and if I wanted to be here anymore. And, uh, <laughs> I saw my mom walking to get the mail. I was like, okay, I need to be here, but what am I going to do? How do I fix this? My career path was to go to be a, a EMT or, or firefighting or something like that. But my school was so bad. I was trying to figure out how to get back on my feet. And uh, I got a, a know-nothing job at Videoland. And Videoland <laughs> changed my life. Because Heavenly Father knew my heart and knew what I needed. And he put people in my life that saved me. I guess I kind of that's kind of a crazy way to get around a, a oh, 16 redo, that, but that's good. But uh, that's that's kind of that's kind of why I would wish I would have seen what my life would have not that again I would have would I change where I'm at right now and those experiences I had to make the person I am today no. But if there was a bizarro world or yeah. or something that I could have watched and me handle that 16 year old experience different, would I have served a mission? Would my, what would what different would happen in my life? Yeah, and I don't know if that's really important, and I don't think about it a lot. But it is it is kind of there. What would what would have been different? So I'm thinking back, and I know that sometimes back back then the there was sometimes a hardline culture on aspects in the church, and things I've seen things evolve a little bit to some degree. You know, as far as sensitivities, if being in the state parentheses now, you had vice for the young man's leader at the time and the bishop at the time, what would that advice be to them? You know, I'm very passionate about that actually because of the experiences that I did have and the path that I did kind of travel and not being that typical Melchizedek priesthood holder or stake presidency member or bishopric member is, you know, you need to meet kids where they're at and you need to know them. You need to they they just can't be a member of a role or a name on a list. You got to know them. If they're struggling, meet them where they're at. If they're not coming to activity, it doesn't mean they're disenchanted with church. Something's happening in their life. Mm. And it doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but do you know? Have you reached out? Have you really shown genuine Christ-like love? Because what what are we learning right now in Come Follow Me is, is Christ knows people and sought people individually. He didn't just passively go about his mission on this earth knowing his presence was enough to influence everybody. He sought after the individual. He sought after the sinner, the sick, the meek, the downtrodden. He didn't go to the the believers and say, hey, come follow me. Oh, you are right on, man. Good Mm -hmm. job. So that would be my advice is, is no... Know the youth. Know those kids that are struggling. Know the kids that are doing great. But just know them. Okay. Corinne, you miss having Carl in your ward, don't you? I do. If you ever have had the opportunity to talk with Carl, it is a bonus. He is so fun and so kind. And it kind of breaks your mom's heart to hear that last little clip that he ever felt that way in his life because he's such a good person. I remember 
in our ward, he would come in to the primary. He was, well, first of all, we called him to primary and he was so excited that he asked if he could start early. And we said, sure, (laughs) come on in. (laughs) Um, And then shortly after that, they called him to be in our bishopric. And he would still come into primary every Sunday. And I loved it because we did have some young boys in there that had their own challenges. And Carl just took them under his wing and every week without fail sat next to those little boys and helped them through primary. And just seeing him like do that was was actually beautiful. I mean, you could see the spirit from Carl to these little boys to help them with their own little struggles in primary. And to hear, I've heard his story and I've heard many others say things like that, that people had said something to them as a youth that breaks my heart, um, especially now as a youth leader. Also, sorry, also having children of my own um, and seeing them also struggle to find out if the gospel is for them and to know that someone would make them feel that way. And I've talked to friends who also had the same experience. And so as a young women leader, it makes you take a step back and really, really think about what am I saying to these youth? And like Carl said, am I loving them enough? Am I getting to know them enough? There must be something more I can do instead of pushing them away by saying the wrong thing. So I pray about that a lot because I don't want there to be another Carl story um, happening from our youth. Yeah, I think about that a lot because I, I get to work with the youth a lot too, and I, I love it. It's my favorite thing. But um, just thinking about, you know, the the impact that words have. I remember some of the things that my leader said to me when I was growing up, and it was just in passing, you know. And so thinking about that, the impact on what what it could be, <laughs> um, you do have to 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 like Carl said, you have to know them to love them, right? And and love getting to know them and and how fun that is. And also I think that they you can be real with youth too. And I think that was probably the intention of the leader that that approached Carl, but not well done because he forgot the part to show him love and hope, right? I think repentance, you, you don't have to shy away from that. But also, you know, in Carl, I don't know Carl's case, right? It sounded like he didn't really need that as much as he needed just support, right? But I think if you're prayerful, like Corinne says, she prays about it a lot. If you're prayerful, I think a lot of times youth aren't afraid to be real, mm-hmm. but they also need to know that there's hope because you can't just leave them on the edge of, I don't know what to do with that. You know, you have to show them repentance is awesome. And I think a lot of youth don't know that yet. That repentance is awesome and it's not scary and it's not horrible and it's not because you're a bad person. It's it's love. And and I think that's that's the thing that I try to do in in my class when I work with them. Like, repentance is great, you guys. You're gonna love this. You're gonna love who it makes you and who you're able to become. But if you I was thinking too, and I had to sub Sunday school today, a lot of youth at that age are still trying to figure out who they are. What is my identity? Who am I? And I think sometimes as leaders, that needs to be our focus, is helping them figure out who they are and teaching them how to find out and ask Heavenly Father, what are my strengths again, Heavenly yeah. Father? What am I, what's the plan for me? But it starts with they can't ask that until they understand who they are. And there's a lot of them that are still trying to figure that out. And the wrong words, even if they're said in a well-meaning way, can sometimes change the way they feel that they need to be or who they are and should they be there. And that there's a place for them, right? Like there is a place for them. 
helping them find that is important. Yeah, I I remember it. It makes me think about encampment a little bit. And I gave a lesson there this year. And the first thing I started with, I was teaching on repentance, actually. So on that topic, Tina, and my first question was, are you a son or are you a sinner? I, I think the boys kind of struggle with that because we're used to kind of church speak where we get up and we say, you know, I'm a sinner, blah, blah, blah. We're all sinners. And and I said, that's okay. You know, it's okay we say that, but wouldn't it be better if we saw it as I'm a son or a daughter of a heavenly being who happens to sin sometimes? Like, wouldn't that be better to think oh, of it that so way? Much better, yeah. Because then you first identified who you are and whose you are, not just who you are, but whose you are. And there's that quote about, I want to be that parent that my kid wants to come and tell me that they made a mistake. Well, we want them to understand Heavenly Father wants that too. Heavenly Father wants you to come to him and he's waiting, you know, because you are his. And that's kind of speaking on repentance too, Tina. It's, you know, I I haven't found the perfect way to phrase this either, but it, we, I think we do have to get away a bit from the how are we going to fix this problem? You know, the problem focused and and more, okay, whatever bad thing happened, how is that going to bring us to the feet of the Savior? You know, how are we coming closer to him now because of this? And that I think that's one approach that can be really helpful. And and you're right. The kids just have to know that. Adults have to know that their repentance is awesome because you see people who, as a bishop, who have gone through terrible things that they come out the other end of it and and it's the most amazing process ever to see who they become uh, after repenting and and coming unto him. All right, let's let's move on to a clip from Jordan Moon. This was a funny episode. I could have picked anything. I, I should have actually picked a funny clip out of this, but he told the story in Sacrament actually. So he is on the High Council now, and he shared a talk. I think with most words about. Uh, experienced dirt biking, and I, I thought it was really impactful. So we'll go to that. So I'm a I'm a fairly confident individual, and uh, these delusions of grandeur. These delusions of grandeur, I guess. Um, and so I randomly in 2020, uh, Trump gave me some money, and so I randomly went out and bought a dirt bike. And I never had ridden a dirt bike before. All my family members in Idaho were buying dirt bikes, but all my friends here locally had four wheelers. And so I was like, I don't really, the four wheelers are fun, but I just, it's not really calling my name. And then when I started looking at the dirt bikes, I said, oh, this is, this is going to be my, my jam. So I randomly just went out and bought a brand new dirt bike. having never, ever ridden a dirt bike before. I went out dirt bike riding one time on my own on a flat road, just to make sure that I could ride my dirt bike. And I felt like it was fine. I was like, this is easy. I got dirt biking down. I was 100% confident in my skills in riding a dirt bike, thinking that that's what dirt biking was, was just riding down a road and maybe on a trail. And that was it, right? There's no skill involved. If you could drive a car, you could drive a dirt bike. I was completely naive. And so I was 100% confident. And then the next week after I bought it, I was going on a dirt bike ride with my in-laws in Idaho, who have been riding dirt bikes for a while. And so I go, and once again, me being confident, I just, let's go. Literally within the first probably 200 yards, we're going down a steep, steep hill that's loose dirt. And I had, I'd never been down a hill. I'd never been up a hill before on a dirt bike. I didn't know you did this kind of stuff. And so my, my brother-in-law told me that when he goes down a hill, he, he uses his front brake to slow down. And so I was like, oh, that's okay. And, and so we're going down this hill and I'm, I'm losing control. So I slam on my front brake 
And of course, my bike goes goes over and I go over my handlebars. And so I hit the ground on my bike, my brand new bike. It's tumbling down the hill. And uh, that's probably within the first two minutes of me riding my dirt bike with my in-laws. And so I get all situated. My pride's hurt a little bit. And then we have to go back up a hill. And, you know, next thing, and I've never gone up a steep hill before. And I didn't understand the, the concept of momentum and power and shifting and all that kind of stuff. And so I get about midway through the hill, midway up the hill, and I'm losing speed. So I shift down to first gear and then I gun it. And so, of course, when you gun it in first gear, you you pop a wheelie. And so I, but I popped a wheelie and that wheelie went all the way over. So I'm now on my back and my bike is tumbling back down the hill again. Brand new bike. Felt great. <laughs> um, that was probably within the first 10 minutes that I did. I, I had two massive crashes where my bike is tumbling down a hill. Finally, we get, we get situated, situated and I, I figure some stuff out and we're going. And then we're going down and I'm cruising down this, this trail. And then all of a sudden it goes steep down again and I'm flying. So I grab my front brake again. And of course, I go over the top of my handlebars again, snap my phone in, ha in half, get a bunch of scrapes. It's wonderful, right? Bike goes tumbling. And then the last time I fell on that trip, we're going, there was this big tree in the road, a big tree on, in the trail. We had to go around the tree and then kind of down this super steep mountainside. And the bottom of the mountainside, there's like this four foot cliff. And I was like, man, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go at the perfect angle sideways and I'll be fine. Well, gravity always works and I'm not very smart. And so I go and I try to like bisect this cliff at like a 45 degree angle and the gravity pulls me down the cliff and my pocket gets hooked onto the handlebars and it rips my pants from my belt to all the way down past my knees, just down that seam of my groin. <laughs> it's on video. Wait, how did I not know about this video? Oh, well, this is not, my brother-in-law has it. I'm sure I could, I'm sure I can get it for you guys. But yeah, I just have this massive tear down my jean, um, down my pants. And that was all probably within the first hour and a half, two hours of riding. I fell four times, ripped my pants, broke my phone, flipped my bike multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. It was my first time dirt bike riding. That was my first time dirt bike riding. And you recently shared a talk in our ward. I think you probably gave it in other words too about how you started turning to Heavenly Father and you started actually praying as you were as you were going up some yeah. pretty steep hills and and ended up being a, a spiritual experience for you. Yeah, it was um it's kind of ironic, you know. I mean I, I wasn't saying the most righteous of things as the as I was falling and breaking and tearing. I've heard you say some of those words before. Uh, there were yeah. some choice words coming down and my brand new pristine dirt bike was all scratched and bent and broken and but as we were coming back, the time of day, it was the sun was setting. And instead of kind of going the same pathway we went, we chose a little bit more of a direct route, which was kind of up and over all the hills instead of kind of around instead of kind of going around and in between the hills, it was up and over. And it just was the perfect time of night where as you're going up the hill, you're looking straight into the sun. And as we're going, you couldn't see a thing, right? I couldn't tell if it was a rock, if it was a rut, I couldn't tell if it was a bush. Or, you know, the cliff. I couldn't tell if it was firm ground or soft ground. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my bike. I didn't trust my abilities. So I turned to the Lord as I was riding. And literally, as I'm riding up the hill, I would say a prayer. And I'd say, help me. Guide me. And sure enough, I made it to the top of the hill. And then as I got to the top of the hill, I'd verbally probably yell out. I'd say, thank you. 
then I'd have to go down the next hill. And sure enough, on the next hill, I couldn't see again. So then again, I'd say verbally, I'd say, help me, guide me. And I'd say, thank you at the top of the hill. I knew at that time that, as in so many other times, it has been manifested to me that our Heavenly Father cares about us. And he cares about me on an individual basis. And that he'll come to my aid and he'll come to your aid. Even if you've had a bad day and haven't done the most righteous of things and said the most appropriate things, he'll come to your aid if you reach out to him in earnestness and in prayer. He will be there for you in your moments of of terror and fear. That's what I learned from that. Very, very interesting dirt bike ride. So, Christine, that was your first time hearing that story, actually. Yeah, it kind of brings me back to the accommodation thing. I actually like the way he said... Jordan does need special accommodation. (laughs) Well, don't we all? (laughs) And if you literally don't know exactly what you need, I think help me is just a great general request from God. (laughs) Just help me. (laughs) I think think that would work. (laughs) I, I think it's totally relatable. There's definitely times in my life recently, actually, where I, you just go, God, I, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, okay. So listening to Jordan and then remembering about Ian's talk and even Carl, you can just see in these stories of people needing help and uh, you can just see their their individual plans kind of unfold and bring them back, you know, on the right track or just help them out of a difficult situation. And I think that's really neat to see and hear about. Well, okay, here's what I also think um, it's kind of unfortunate that we all hear him say, I wasn't saying the most righteous thing, so maybe I shouldn't have prayed, which is such a myth, right? In fact, that's when we need to pray the most and then, and then that's when the Lord will absolutely he'll he'll come to our aid whenever we pray, but especially if we are in the depths of things that maybe I mean he wasn't doing anything bad, but just like when we like the adversary will all would always have us think that we are unworthy to pray, and yeah. that is just a complete and total lie. Like there couldn't be a bigger lie out there that we've all obviously bought into occasionally or often. So, well, I was thinking <laughs> as you said that is that like. If you think about Jordan's story, he went off to do something he had never done before. And he's like, I got this. I don't need any help. I got this. <laughs> right? He totally was, first of all, confident, which good job, Jordan, for having some confidence. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bonus. But, you know, we in life, we kind of have this confidence. I got this by myself. And we forget to maybe say, ooh, could you help me before I go? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you go down the hills and you have to climb these hills. It wasn't until he felt like he was totally, like you were saying, in the depths of it, in despair. Like, I just want to get home, you know, that he finally turn to prayer. Um, I think, again, it shows Heavenly Father's going to meet you where you're at, and He's not going to leave you hanging out there. He's going to help you get home. But a lot of times, that's how life goes. We start, we got this. I don't need any help. I totally got this. You know, I don't need accommodations or whatever. And and it isn't until we realize, oh, maybe I should have started with some help, Mm -hmm. you know, or even asked, you know, you still compare it to Heavenly Father, but He could have said to His brother-in-laws, all right, I got to go down this hill, but I've never actually really done that. Could you guys give me some tips? Yeah. You know, and in life you could, I think, compare that to like, Heavenly Father, you're asking me to do something. I've never done this. You got some tips for me? You know? Yeah. I love that sometimes the prayer the prayer can be in behalf of somebody else too, right? Like that prayer for help that you don't really know what they need, but you 
you know that they need something. So like quick example, I hope, but I was just in Alaska with my mom. She she thinks that this is going to be her last trip, her big hurrah. So she's been trying to go on a helicopter ride and up onto a glacier. She's been to Alaska before, but it got canceled when they were there. So we were there and the only day it rained was her helicopter day. Mm. And it rained a lot. Mm. They grounded up all the flights. Um, so she didn't, she couldn't go. And I was going a different place and we were leaving in the morning and she'd found out the news. And so she was in our room and she's just sitting on the balcony crying. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I know I'm leaving. So I'm just going to say this prayer. And, and I prayed and I just said, I don't know what she needs, but she needs something. Um, sorry, super emotional. Um, and then my brother went off the boat and he found another tour and they went whale watching. And they had an experience that their their captain said he's only seen 12 times and he's been doing it six days a week for 18 years. And it was just this amazing experience that um, when she came back and talked about it, I was like, that was an answer to my prayer. And I knew it before she even started talking. I was just like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And then she talked about it and she goes, I knew I knew that Heavenly Father saw me that day. And he knew what I needed to heal my heart. And I just love that. I love that about prayer, like that prayer of help. We don't even know what we need or we don't know what somebody else's needs, but Heavenly Father knows. He knows exactly what we need in that moment. And a lot of times it comes in ways that we don't expect, right? I love that. I think it would be okay. great to know um, Jordan's brother-in-law's side of the story. Yeah. Because they may have been praying for Jordan going, <laughs> <laughs> back or Natalie is going to kill us. <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> it's also really cool, though, that he mentioned, like, when he get to the top after that short prayer, he was like, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Because that we forget that part a lot. Yeah. So even just that you guys took that moment to, like, recognize that mm. that was a gift and that it was a blessing and an answer to prayer was important, too. It's, it's a huge part of the process that we often forget because we're like, yes, I got what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes we don't even acknowledge that that was no connection, yeah, right? Like, you take oh, the credit. things are good now. <laughs> yeah. I think it's neat to think that, you know, your mom thought she wanted this helicopter ride. Yeah. But Heavenly Father's like, no, I'm going to give you something better <laughs> yeah. that you didn't even know you wanted. Yeah. Um, I, I just think that's really cool. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Connection Podcast. We'll be releasing another Greatest Hits episode soon with the same panel. I want to let you guys know, I really appreciate everybody that's been listening and sharing with their friends and family. We finally did meet our goal of getting over 300 subscribers. We'd like to continue to go north of that, of course, but we met our goal. We're happy about the amount of sharing that's happening and really happy about the content that we're going to have coming up in Season 2. It's going to be great. All right, till next time, take care. Thank you.